from KQED. They are coming back. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> That's this week's California <laughs> Politics Podcast for the week ending Friday, August 14th. I'm John Myers from KQED News. The sound effects were provided by Marisa Lagos, my colleague from KQED, Anthony York of the Grizzly Bear Project. Deep and pensive thought here about the return of the legislature for the final month. Pumped of this legislative session. So our uh, podcast this week, a little departure from the week's news and more looking forward to what we think are some of the things worth watching as the legislature comes for this final sprint. What is it? Is it uh, three weeks, five weeks? Mm. Right through Labor Day. I forget in the first year of the session when we end. Mid-September. Right. Before we go to the interim study recess. Junket season. As they call that period of the holidays. So this is the, uh, the the final push for year one of this session of the California legislature, and we thought we would look at some of the bigger issues that they're dealing with. There are um, a few hundred bills, and a lot of what uh, we think is going to be talked about now ain't going to be talked about because things always change. We know all of them, too, by, by memory. <laughs> okay, ready? Go. Memorization. A, B, no. But, um, but, but things always come out of the woodworks. There's always those 11th-minute Eleventh uh, minute, eleventh hour deals, um, the infamous guts and amends, and on and on and on. But let's um, let's talk a little bit about kind of big things here. And I'm going to throw one big one on the on the plate here first. We talked about it on the last podcast, so let's talk about it in depth here. Uh, and that is um, the climate change push by Democrats in the legislature, led mm-hmm. primarily by Democrats in the Senate. Um, three bills in particular, really, to watch here. Uh, two of them are similar and I suspect may end up being um, joined in some lovely legislative matrimony. And that is uh, Senate Bill 32 um, by uh, State Senator Fran Pavley uh, on climate change, on greenhouse gas emissions reductions, and a similar bill by Assembly Speaker Tony Atkins dealing with some of the same topic. So I'm going to kind of almost treat that as one. But then the other one, Senate Bill 350 by uh, the leader of the state Senate, Kevin DeLeon which does, among other things, um, uh, increases renewable energy standards for California and would um, mandate in some way a big reduction in gasoline use um, in California for vehicles. That is a big one. I mean, this whole topic is a big one, but 350 is full of big old nasty capital politics, oil companies and environmentalists and uh, people with power, and where does the governor and the business community? Yeah. I mean, it's a big soup of and, fun yeah. to watch. And we talked about this a few weeks ago in depth, but I think, you know, one of the more interesting political questions is really going to be like, how is this received in the legislature and how does the assembly interplay with the Senate? And, you know, we've discussed how there is, you know, more moderate Democrats in the assembly that might want to water it down a little. You know, I'm really fascinated to see how the speaker deals with that, where she comes down, how sort of strongly she is in line with De Leon, how where the governor comes down on a lot of this, because as we've discussed, he's put out these goals, but they're very broad, long-term goals. And did he mean for them to be actually prescribed in legislation this soon? You know, I think that there's going to be a lot of really interesting dynamics, especially given how in lockstep we've seen really leadership in the governor be in the last six or eight months. Um, this might be a place where there's a little bit more... Uh, Splintering amongst friends. Yeah, Marisa and I talked about this when you were gone, Mr. York. You so listened to it, of course. I don't know where you were, but jump, but jump in here. I mean, 
the governor did lay out the goals in SB 350 in his inaugural speech, but they were goals. And the governor has prided himself on most topics, not all topics, in this incrementalism kind of universe. But when it comes to climate issues, he's been very gregarious where he comes down and what he does behind the scenes. He's worked behind the scenes to get bills he's wanted before. This is a big bill on an issue he cares about. It's a big bill, but there's a lot of precedent for California sort of setting the the tone and the pace of environmental regulation. So back in the Gray Davis years, Senator Fran Pavley had a bill that... Tailpipe that, emissions. On tailpipe emissions and also on fuel economy standards that, set, that ended up being adopted nationally and, and changed, you know, changed how Detroit does business. Um, so there's certainly precedent for it. And I think this is sort of the next frontier in the climate change battle is sort of weaning weaning uh, the automotive industry and Americans, Americans, it's not just Californians, but Americans off of uh, off of automobiles that are dependent on on gasoline. I wonder I wonder to Marisa's point about the about the legislative sausage making at this point. So the bill is in uh, the assembly. This is the daily owned bill, SB 350, kind of we're pushing here. Ah, and the winner is? That was uh, York's phone. That's my, that's my parking ticket <laughs> alert. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let's be quick for you. Um, the bill is in the assembly, SB 350. Um, there are members of the assembly who are actively being courted now by interest groups to demand changes. You to can say Adam it, Gray. That's to, fine. You can say. <laughs> to modify it. Not um, to name names, but... Supporters of 350 as it is may call it watering it down. The others may say making it more realistic. That's the narrative uh, battle that someone's looking for here. So you're calling me partisan? But what, <laughs> what are the... what are the? I mean, let's talk about the dynamics. I mean, you've got... Historically, the leader of a body's bill is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And that leader can uh, twist arms behind the scenes to get what he or she wants. Sometimes. I mean, often. Historically, that's my point. But it doesn't always happen that way. Remember, uh, there was a year before Prop 2 ever happened. Um, there was a uh, Speaker John Perez had his rainy day fund idea, which which ended up not going anywhere. There was discussion about what to do over the uh, single sales factor, what ended up being taken care of in Prop 39. Before Prop 39 happened, Perez had a had a, a bill that um, that would have done something slightly different with the money and created the uh, the middle class scholarships. That's what I was, I mean, look at how hard that was. Well, heavy but, lift, you know? yeah, and that well that and that fell apart. So I mean, speakers and pro tems don't always get their way. No. Um, but this is this is a, a, an interesting first test. This is the sort of the first end of session for the new pro tem and for the new speaker, and we'll see what their you know what their um, how much muscle they have, and particularly as it pertains to the other the other house. This is the time of the year where you know Democrats say of Republicans, you know, uh, Republicans are 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 our opponents, but the assembly is our enemy, right? I mean, it's like the 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 feud between houses sometimes yeah. can transcend even party. Well, and also kind of to your point about the possibility of getting a lawmaker like Assemblyman Adam Gray to amend those bills is, you know, how much does the speaker flex her muscle? How important is this to her? Is it something that she's willing to fight her own members on? Um, And really, you know, I think even more interesting is like how the governor responds. He's been so out there on this climate change stuff. He, you know, we just talked last week about him sending this open letter to the GOP candidates, really sort of laying it out there. He's been at the fires around the state talking about how this is not just, you know, a one-off. This is about the drought and climate change. 
So now, you know, in this issue and other issues around this, you know, with fracking, we've seen a lot of pushback from the environmental community around Jerry Brown. You know, when the rubber meets the road, what is he willing to actually do besides, you know, travel to the Vatican and talk about it? Well, we've seen him twist arms, right? In in past end of sessions, he's been very engaged. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, sometimes things like the minimum wage and the driver's license bills, that happened. But, I mean, there were things when they were talking about workers' comp. I mean, the governor himself was... Was groundwater the groundwater regulation stuff at the end of session uh, realignment? Before. I mean, yeah. I mean, all this stuff, you know, in 2011. I mean, that was you know he was camped out in the pro tem's office, calling senators off the floor and and working for votes. So yeah. this is sort of the time. That he, I mean, he's he's engaged. This is not Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? I mean, and this he is, likes to come up to their floor sometimes. Yeah, he'll meet them meet them, meet them on their level. No, yeah. he 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 and. Um, I expect we'll see a lot of Jerry Brown on the uh, on the second floor in uh, in August and September. So so, but just you know, to the bills again. I mean, so there are some around the Capitol who believe, as I said, that um, there can be some kind of meeting of the minds between the Pavley and Atkins efforts at um, greenhouse gas reductions in the future. The SB three hundred and fifty bill. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of head counting in the assembly um, about where the, where, how you get 41 votes and how close you are and what Dems are wavering and what you need to do. Uh, And again, I go back to leaders. I mean, a leader of a house who the other house may not give he or she what they want uh, can start holding that other person's bills hostage in his house. I mean, that's the old hostage crisis situation we've seen before. Like if you want your bill on this, you're going to give me a vote We've on this. We've seen it before. Think, we see it every year. You know, <laughs> and I think that for Atkins, this is a real test in a number of ways. I mean, one, you know, we've heard sort of rumors. You're always hearing rumors about people that are interested in, in taking out leadership. But I think that the question becomes, you know, how how do I say this? There's, after somebody like John Perez, who sort of ruled with an iron fist, um, a lot of people did not like him personally, but he, I think, was good at sort of managing his members and keeping people together and, and, and you know, spreading out favors in some ways on a political level. With Atkins, people, I think, like her personally, but if they see their own, you know, sort of caucus crumble in some of these really important initiatives, I think there could be some backlash on both sides, both the moderate and more liberal side. And so I'm just really interested to see how this plays out because we really, again, like haven't seen a lot of dissent in the ranks around the budget or the earlier issues this year. I'm also interested to see just on this bill, and we can talk about other ones, um, how the outside game affects the inside game because the outside game has been you know the gauntlet has been thrown down here as we said on the pod on the last podcast with tom steyer making his point about uh, oil companies uh, as a kind of a counter narrative the california drivers alliance a funded subsidiary group activist group from the oil industry from the western states petroleum association with these ads that marisa and i talked about on the podcast again when you were gone mr york Um, stuff happened the you know if you don't have a tesla then, you know, this impacts you, calling it a, you know, gas limitation So, then, so then what's the problem? I don't see. But my point no, is, no. thank you. <laughs> outside, how will the outside game affect the inside game? Are people spoiling for a 2016 ballot fight? Are they spoiling for some it, other battle or money in legislative races in 2016? How will that impact looming. Certainly looming. I mean, I think Tom Steyer, uh, who we talked about last week, um, you know, is, is definitely mobilizing around this bill. Uh, and he's taken some political actions that that are directly aimed at influencing what's happening he, uh, this year, 
with the threat and potential threat of an initiative in 2016. I mean, I think there is every possibility um, that um, that whatever happens or doesn't happen in September um, will will carry over into 2016. I, I mean, absolutely, whether that could be some kind of referendum or uh, of whatever's passed or or anything like that. Um, you know, this is not going to be the end of this fight. This is a, a big, long, expensive fight that we'll be talking about for a long time. So um, what are the bills are we watching that we think we should watch? Um, we can talk thematically or uh, bill-wise. Anybody want to throw one out? I got a couple more, but I don't want to overstep my uh, well, place here. What's, uh, what's on the radar? Yeah, I mean, this isn't the end of session. This is the special sessions, but right before... It, it, it is part of it. Yeah, dovetails, it's, it's all going to happen at the same time. Uh, right before the legislature went on break, there was a, a flurry of bills introduced around tobacco products as part of the health special session. And a lot of these are sort of resurrecting some of the... Uh, Ideas from Mark Leno and others that died a painful death. Speaking of Adam Adam Gray's committee (laughs) last month, Um, you know, defining electronic cigarettes as um, tobacco products and 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 making them fall under the state's existing smoke-free laws. I just just found this really politically interesting that after we saw this really you know firework-laden committee where Leno's bills were essentially you know he took hostile well he didn't take them they were hostile amendments um, pushed by the chair Adam Gray. To remove, you know, strip this idea that they're tobacco products. Um, and you saw pushback from some people on the committee. And Leno said, it's not my bill anymore. And then it sort of just hung there. I that, disown this bill yeah, or something to that Yeah, effect. basically it became an orphan bill. Um, that all of a sudden then we saw these two bills from um, Senator Bill Monning and then from uh, Assemblyman Jim Cooper being introduced, essentially almost doing the exact same thing. So, again... <sighs> I don't know. What do you guys think? Does this well, what does this say about leadership? What does this say about the special sessions? I don't know. I don't I don't know. But right. I do think, you know, now we've talked about uh, big oil fights and now we talk about tobacco yeah. fights. Right. And the um, big and the big fight for 2016 is not going to be the e-cigarette stuff. It's going to be the the tobacco tax. Now, there's a version a of, the, of that. There's there's a version of the initiative that includes regulation yeah. of the e-cigarettes, but whether or not there can be a deal cut on tobacco taxes again, highly unlikely. Yeah. Uh, and what that means for 2016, you know, SEIU and some others have filed an initiative that um, that would increase tobacco taxes yet again, and um, and and you know, I mean, that's another major political fight that's coming next year at the ballot box. We also have the special session um, issues on transportation and transportation right. infrastructure, and that debate that has been pretty quiet. But we'll no doubt flare yeah. up again about how you fund it, new taxes, fuel taxes, changing yeah. the fuel tax scenario. Um, complicated and, because it does require some bipartisan buy-in. Well, and and it's, it's interesting how the 350 debate will dovetail with with one of the, the underlying tenets of the, of the transportation special session. One of the issues is that there's not enough money for roads because we get a, we get a per-gallon tax that we're collecting uh, on cars to help pay for roads. As cars have gotten more efficient, right? That means less money in that per gallon tax. It's a flat tax per gallon. Uh, that so there's been less money for for road repairs and other ma- and other infrastructure maintenance. If we move to fifty percent, uh, cutting our oil, our gasoline consumption by fifty percent, we're going to need to find another way. We're going to have to find another way to fund roads. So uh, I mean, I think this is the beginning of that discussion. My guess is that there's not a major. Yeah. Are we calling it that it's not going to not going to happen this year a big solution on the I mean I think we'll see the, some 
movement. I don't think we're going to see the panacea here, but I also think we're going to see some pushback or some push from, I'm hearing rumors, um, from some members to try to insert transit funding into this discussion, which, again, will be interesting given, you know, the governor's statements about climate change and and how do we, you know, and and how closely he's allied himself with the high speed rail and that sort of transit issue. So it's going to be fascinating. And I think it's, you know, when you get into the nitty gritty, like we've talked about this before, the basic sort of broader issue everyone agrees is important, but, you know, the devil's in the details, to use a cliche. Well, and again, I, you know, to your point of whether or not it happens, Anthony, I mean, to me, the question is, where does the governor put it on his to-do list? Because he, because he launched the discussion in okay, January yeah. with his January budget about, like, you know, we need to think about this. And then, you know, respectfully I say this, was somewhat absent from yeah. the discussion for a long time. Doesn't mean his administration wasn't talking to people, but he wasn't rolling out new proposals. He left it to mm-hmm. the legislature to see what they've come up with. And they're struggling with it. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, does the governor engage and say this is, to your point, Anthony, is this one of the things he's going to be working behind the scenes on or not? And to me, that's the equation of like whether it can live or die is how much does the governor think this is part of what we need to be doing? Um, so, it's it's a good one, and and of course, you know these are special sessions where the issues can come back, and they're somewhat tied to the budget. I think another one that we should talk about quickly that is somewhat budget related and climate related. I am walking backwards is the allocation of cap and trade revenues, which mm. was set out of the budget as well. Right. Which again is another one about whose priorities are we talking about when we talk about uh, greenhouse gas reduction, transportation needs. I would also talk about housing. What's going to happen in the final month on housing and affordable housing? It is the number one priority, it seems, of the Speaker of the Assembly, Tony right. Atkins. Will there be a deal on some way to expand affordable housing in a way that that um, can pass political muster right. of the the impact of those fees or whatever well, they were on, on real estate fees? Yeah, I mean, so, that, that'll be a really interesting one to watch, I think. And again, like, what's the outside influence and the lobbying community and how— you know, how receptive is the other house to that? I mean, that's a great example of a bill that's very important to the speaker. And so how does she play ball then with the pro tem or not um, in relation to getting his bills through her house and vice versa? Um, it's that notion in politics of do you ever tell anybody what's your priority? And yeah. then they right. know how to gamble. We know. And negotiate. I mean, they've been pretty unequivocal that that's really Atkins main focus here. Um can I move on to another issue? So in the in the healthcare session, one thing we didn't mention was that there were actually a couple of proposals that came out right before break also on uh, this how to replace this uh, billion dollar or so tax that is needed to keep Medi-Cal sort of at its own level. And one of them from um, Levine, Mark Levine, um, would essentially levy a flat tax of $7.88 per month on each person who's... Uh, in a managed care organization, so most people in the state. Um, I, I think this is going to be really interesting to watch, and I don't really have a good sense of this yet, but of how this plays out within the healthcare community and how it splits people, because there are these managed care organizations that have always had this tax levied on them because they serve Medi-Cal. The feds have said this needs to be more broad-based, um, but that's, you know, hefty tax, and he's trying to kind of do everything with this. He wants to prevent these potential, this $1 billion loss, but also restore previous cuts to Medi-Cal, Cuts to in-home supportive services, increased increased developmental service funding, um, which is a huge priority of Republicans who rolled out their own um, 
I would say, less politically likely plan that essentially called for using any new general fund revenues available over this year's budget levels to dedicated to uh, reimbursement rates for the developmentally disabled and uh, to restore these 10 percent cuts to Medi-Cal. So already seeing, you know, the partisan sort of. Uh, posturing happen on this issue. I don't know, you know, where, whether Levine's proposal has the backing of, of Brown and the administration, but uh, th- these were certainly shots across the bow. Again, though, back to the governor. He put the MCO tax issue on the plate at the beginning of the budget discussion. And so where does he come down on that? So I think that's a good one to watch. Let me throw in another one here and we'll we'll hit another couple and then what the hell, we'll get out of here. Uh, and then they'll come back and then we'll actually figure out what they're going to do. <laughs> Uh, I want to talk about minimum wage just briefly. Um, Mark Leno, state senator from San Francisco, has his SB3, which would um, accelerate the state's push um, on increasing the minimum wage and has the indexing element in it that we've talked about for so long that would link the the state's minimum wage to the cost of inflation, cost of living. Um, That has been a very, very tough sell for a long time. The governor, Anthony, talked about it again, engaged on minimum wage a few years ago pulling out the indexing element and having a very incremental increase in the statewide minimum wage. But the last few weeks and months of these discussions of higher minimum wages in Los Angeles and in other cities, the national discussion of the $15 an hour, the looming presidential discussion over um, the wage gap and the working poor and the $15 number, does that change the politics at all? Or is it just a, you know, dead letter? I, I, yeah, maybe. I, I just I think jury is out on whether or not uh, fifteen dollars statewide is a bridge too far. You know, whether it's too much, too too early. You know, I mean, we've talked about before it, it, the the previous minimum wage hike that the governor signed has not even fully phased in yet. I'm mean, just understanding this governor's mo. It, it it seems unlikely to me, just knowing what little I know about Jerry Brown, um, that he would jump in and add to something that isn't that isn't even finished yet. I mean, yeah. I, I could be wrong about that. I mean, that, this bill but... does not go to 15, of course. I mean, it clearly, you know, it um, it talks about 11, then it talks about 13, then it talks about the indexing. So, but your your point is an interesting one, which is like, he may say, I want it to play out. Yeah. Even think... though the politics in the, in the universe of Democrats is so focused on this discussion. Yeah, but I mean, I, th- I think that's, again, where you see the sort of difference between what California Democrats purport to be and then what actually happens when when the policy, you know, when the rubber hits the roads around policy and, and, and the business community and lobbying. And, um, you know, we just had an increase. What, last year was when that? Well, we've had we've had them I mean, over the, the last the legislation two years. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I would be surprised um if this if that really changed the game but you know i don't think people like leno are going to stop trying or seiu and others and you know there's always the possibility of ballot measures and other you know ways to get at this and and who knows you know we'll see how things play nationally in the presidential race and how that keeps you know moving potentially things in our state Anybody see any traction or anything like um, uh, voting issues? I mean, one of the things I watch a little bit is these bills that would deal with voting, the uh, motor voter bill mm-hmm. that would be the expansion of it that Alex Padilla, as the Secretary of State, is pushing uh, outside the legislature and, of course, uh, others inside the legislature, uh, which would automatically uh, uh, sign people up registered to vote when they register at the DMV. Um, has a lot of appeal, but there are people who already don't like the way the DMV has handled motor voter, the federal act from 20-some years ago. 
There was the uh, the Bob Hertzberg idea about mailing ballots to everyone. There's an election year coming up. I yeah. mean, is there any is there any um, appetite for um, any of these ways to deal with what we all talked about in 2014, which was the unbelievably anemic voter turnout in California? Would this change that in any way? So it's a whole section of bills yeah. there that uh, I might be watching a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's possibilities. I, I don't really have a sense yet of who's going to fight them. I mean, I think that um, the Hertzberg idea would be a heavy lift financially, right? So that that that's one sort of knock on it. But, um, yeah, I mean, Padilla's really come out there. Just, you know, last week he came out and said he was reversing a lawsuit that his predecessor had pursued around uh, disenfranchising realignment to probationers. Um, so this is something that he's made a big deal about, and I think he'll continue to. And, and yeah, it'll be fascinating to watch. There's also the Beagle legislation. I mean, let's not forget that. I've been getting emails. <laughs> <laughs> there's the Beagles, but there's also the other ones. Uh, uh, not not quite like to that, but, um, you know, the, the high-profile bill that the Speaker is carrying that uh, came from... Um, uh, animal rights advocates on um, ivory. Um, there's the, uh, the, the, the there there are a lot of those bills that got little whiffs of uh, attention. There's the drone legislation and the privacy issues around that. Hannah Beth Jackson in the state senate is carrying a bill, uh, being watched in a lot of ways there. Uh, immigration I wanted to talk about as well. Um, a few bills there that are interesting, including one being carried by Louisa Alejo, uh, assemblyman from Watsonville. That would um, uh, grant work permits and temporary deportation relief to farm workers who are here illegally, which, of course, presupposes that the federal government is going to engage on the issue. The governor has been very vocal about that. You know, Washington's not going to act on things. We are. And that's what prompted him to do some of the immigration stuff so far. Is that a potential one? Uh, And then let me just let me let's let's end it with this. Any sleepers out there? Any sleeper issues? Anything that could come to light? I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, the Internet poker people or anything else. Is there a is there an 11th hour deal on something that hasn't gelled? There always is. Right? Okay, good. I mean, there, That's you it. know, yeah. I mean, there always is. I mean, I mean, look, the driver's license bill was sort of uh, that was kind of dead in the water a couple of years ago until Jerry Brown ran into Kevin DeLeon and Ricardo Lara in the hallway. I mean, you just sort of never know what's going to, um, you know, what will uh what will emerge in the John, last John, don't last you have month. all those unbacked bills the lawmakers shared with you? Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my quest to find out what bills were written on the behalf of lobbyists that are sitting in a drawer waiting, waiting to be, to be rolled out on those last nights of session. Of course, the end of session session, mm-hmm. like the end of a two-year session, is really where you see the biggest of those kinds of deals. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's entirely possible. And then, um, and then we get to watch the governor sign veto. That'll be another. Oh, and, you know, another one, there are still, I think, one or two um, police accountability measures that are floating out there that'll be interesting to watch, especially given, you know, what we've seen around the country um, and some new polling that came out this week showing that there's been a real shift in attitudes, particularly among white Americans and Republicans around whether, you know, race issues, especially around law enforcement, are really a problem. So um, in, in particular, there's a Weber bill, I think, still out there that the ACLU is supporting. You know, those are big lobbies, the law enforcement world. So, And on that subject before we end, I would also submit that I think that, you know, the great thing about end of session, we all say that the bills that are out there are out there. But right, gotten them in, things that get introduced at, you know, whatever time. And some of that can be uh, drawn from the headlines, from things that are going on. All of these issues of gun violence issues. We have had a big discussion over the last two or three years about um, 
gun bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's still a few things floating around, but I wouldn't be surprised to see something else. I mean, I, yeah. I'll i be very curious to see what these 120 legislators come back from their districts with after being off a month and say, wait a minute, I have a priority on X. And is there some kind of political momentum on anything that's floating yeah. around out there that we've been talking about? And then immigration um, stuff is... Yeah, yeah, the immigration stuff we talked about. Or, um, you know, more um, proclamations against Donald Trump. We will <laughs> find out. We'll keep out. you up on all of them. We will find out. So um, stay tuned. We'll all be watching that. And uh, welcome back, legislature, just in a matter of days. Oh, how we have missed you. You're not going to sing the welcome back, Cotter? <laughs> <laughs> we should end on that if I had that thing. We don't want to turn people off. <laughs> That is Marisa Lagos from KQED News, Anthony York from the Grizzly Bear Project, and I'm John Myers from KQED. As always, thanks for listening.